This is Space Time, Series 21, Episode 81, for broadcast on the 12th of October, 2018. Coming up on Space Time, discovery of the dwarf planet Goblin, the Voyager 2 spacecraft about to leave our solar system for interstellar space, and new observations challenging the standard model of cosmology. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. Astronomers have detected yet another distant world orbiting the Sun far out beyond Pluto. The 300-kilometre-wide dwarf planet has been catalogued as 2015 TG387 and nicknamed the Goblin because it was discovered close to Halloween. A report in the Astrophysical Journal says the newly found trans-Neptunian object was discovered 80 astronomical units out from the Sun on a highly elliptical orbit skimming both the Kuiper Belt and Oort Cloud. An astronomical unit is the average distance between the Sun and Earth, about 150 million kilometres, or 8 light minutes. The Kuiper Belt is a ring of frozen worlds, comets and icy debris, which circles the Sun out beyond the orbit of Neptune. Its best-known member is the dwarf planet Pluto, which is currently about 34 astronomical units out from the Sun. So that means Goblin's about two and a half times further away from the Sun than what Pluto is right now. The Oort Cloud is a hypothetical sphere sparsely populated with comets and interstellar material surrounding the Sun in orbits beyond the Kuiper Belt. Observations suggest that the newly discovered dwarf planet's perihelion, that is, its closest orbital position to the Sun, is about 65 astronomical units. Only 2012 VP113 and Sedna, at 80 and 76 astronomical units respectively, have more distant perihelia than Goblin. Calculations show that Goblin's orbit probably reaches all the way out to an aphelion, that is its furthest orbital position from the Sun, of around 2,300 astronomical units. The study's lead author, Scott Shepard from the Carnegie University, says Goblin's one of the few known objects that never comes close enough to the solar system's giant planets, like Neptune or Uranus or Saturn or Jupiter, to have significant gravitational interactions with them. Objects like Goblin, 2012 VP113 and Sedna, are isolated from most of the solar system's known mass, which makes them immensely interesting to study, providing new clues about the dark outer reaches of the solar system. Shepard, together with the study's other two authors, Northern Arizona University's Chad Trujillo and David Tholon from the University of Hawaii, discovered Goblin while continuing their ongoing search for Planet X, a possible ninth planet in our solar system. The so far undiscovered planet X is estimated to be up to four times the size of the Earth with around nine times the Earth's mass. And it's on a highly elongated orbit around the Sun, estimated to last at least 15,000 Earth years. Hints of a possible planet X came to light when astronomers noticed unusual gravitational perturbations in the orbits of more than 13 Kuiper Belt objects thought to have been caused by interactions with an as-yet undiscovered massive body. It was the discovery of 2012 VP113 by Shepard and Trujillo in 2014 which led the pair to first notice similarities in the orbits of several extremely distant solar system bodies and resulted in their hypothesis for the possible presence of an unknown Planet X. If it exists, the mysterious Planet X could well be an interstellar rogue planet that was captured by the Sun's gravitational pull, much like many of the objects in the Oort Cloud. Another possibility is that it was stolen by the Sun's gravity from another star system. 
A third option involves several models of planetary migration within the early solar system, which suggests that as Jupiter and Saturn migrated out to their current orbits, their gravitational perturbations caused Neptune and Uranus to also move outwards, in the process swapping orbital positions and triggering a third ice giant in the group to be flung further out either beyond the solar system into interstellar space or out into the Kuiper Belt, where it's now the mysterious Planet X. Tholan says the team thinks there could be thousands of small bodies like the Goblin out in the solar system's outer fringes, but their distance makes finding them difficult. He says these distant objects are like breadcrumbs leading the team to Planet X. The more they find, better their understanding of the outer solar system and the possible planet they think is shaping their orbits. It took the team a few years of observations to obtain a good orbit for the Goblin because it moves so slowly and has such a long orbital period. The authors first observed Goblin in October 2015 using the Subaru 8-metre telescope located atop of Mauna Kea in Hawaii. Follow-up observations with the Magellan Telescope in Chile and the Discovery Channel Telescope in Arizona helped determine its orbit. Computer simulations then showed how Goblin's orbit could have been impacted by a possible planet X. The location in the sky where Goblin reaches perihelion is similar to 2012 VP113, Sedna and most other known extremely distant trans-Neptunian objects. And all that suggests that there's something out there pushing them into these similar types of orbits. Most of the simulations showed that not only was the Goblin's orbit stable for the age of the solar system, 4.6 billion years, but it was actually likely to be shepherded by Planet X's gravity, which keeps it away from the massive planet. To find out more, Andrew Dunkley is speaking with astronomer Dr Fred Watson. We're going to talk about a new dwarf planet that has been discovered. They've called it Goblin. I don't think that'll stick for some reason. Now, it's not a new planet because it's probably been there for a long time, but uh, it's newly discovered. It's it's newly discovered. And to come clean, its proper name is 2015 TG387. I like Goblin better. Only slightly better. Yeah, So why is it called the Goblin? Well, uh, it was discovered, as its name implies, in 2015. And that discovery was made round about Halloween. And people were obviously thinking Halloween-y thoughts. And they liked TG as well. TG suddenly became the Goblin. And so the Goblin is what its name is now. But as you said a minute or two ago, you can bet your life. When it finally comes to the crunch of choosing a name for this object, it will not be the Goblin. Mm. What is it? Okay, it's a dwarf planet. That means it's spherical. It's about 300 kilometers across. But what's interesting about it is not its shape or its size. It's where it is because it's in the really dim and distant outer reaches of our solar system. Its orbit is very, very elongated. It's so elongated, it's almost a straight line. When it is at its closest, it's about two and a half times further from the sun than Pluto is. Pluto is about about six billion kilometers on average. So two and a half times further, but at its furthest, it's 60 times further than Pluto. So, you know, you're talking not quite a trillion kilometers. It's about, I think I worked out, it's about 360 billion kilometers when it's at its furthest. And its orbit, its year, wait for this, its year is 40,000 years for one trip around the sun. So it's a slow moving, distant, remote, tiny object and very faint because 300 kilometers across is not much when you're looking at those sorts of distances. And so there's a really nice comment here that says for 99% of its orbit, it will be too faint to see. That's all the facts as we know them. But the Mm. backstory is the interesting bit because 
This plays directly into the hypothetical Planet Nine. I was going to bring that up. And yeah. The, yeah, I was going to ask you, could this be? It, it's not Planet Nine, but Bong. it's telling the same story right. as the other asteroids out there in the outer solar system. And in fact, it was because of the search for Planet Nine that this thing was found. Just to recap, this sort of, I suppose, belt of icy asteroids way out in the depths of the solar system. We call it the Kuiper Belt, although sometimes that's a misnomer. The safest way is to refer to them as trans-Neptunian objects. These are objects beyond the orbit of Neptune, because there are several different categories of them. But the Kuiper Belt is, is one of them. That's a belt of uh, objects that was predicted actually back in the 1950s by Gerard P. Kuiper, who was a very well-known Dutch-American astronomer. He suggested that the leftover debris from the formation of the planets is orbiting way, way out in the depths of the solar system. And sure enough, in 1992, I think the first one was found. We now know that Pluto is one of these objects, and there are many others as well, including at least one that's bigger than Pluto. So that's the family of objects that the goblin belongs to. But some of these asteroids are in very elongated orbits, like the Goblin, and their orbits are all sort of aligned in, a, in the same direction. And that has led uh, astronomers to believe that there is a much more massive object, way, way beyond even the Goblin, which has gravitational pull, which is aligning these orbits. And it's an object that is as yet undiscovered. Planet so, Nine? Planet Nine, that's right. Ah. So Planet Nine is what that's being called. It was hypothesized, it's about three years ago, I think, when it first, um, you know, the idea first came up. And so since then, people have been looking for it. As part of the search for it, what's happened is <laughs> they found the Goblin, which is another dwarf planet. It's not Planet Nine, but it's certainly in the same sort of direction. I think Planet Nine is thought to have up to 10 times the mass of the Earth. So it's a big object, but it's also thought to be at an extremely remote distance, which is why we haven't found it yet. And the interesting aspect of all this is that the place where people think Planet Nine is hiding is right in the Milky Way. So you've got a, an area of sky that is absolutely spangled with stars. And what you're trying to find is a very slow moving star moving among them. In other words, something that's just like all the others, because at that distance, Planet Nine would just look like a star, but that is moving slowly between the stars. And that's quite a different problem if you've got very rich or very dense uh, fields of stars. So we, we can't see the forest for the tree, basically. In, it, uh, exactly, in, that's right. It, is yeah. it um, possible that this planet nine could be one of those rogue planets that you and I talked about once that just sort of gets thrown out of whatever orbit it was in, wherever it was, and is just floating around? It's possible, that's right. That would mean it was not gravitationally bound to the solar system. Mm. And I think the calculations that people have done to sort of predict where Planet Nine is, and this is all based on the elongation of these asteroid orbits, I think that has it near enough that it is gravitationally bound to the sun. So it is actually in orbit around the sun. Probably, you know, with a similar kind of 40 or 100,000 year orbit, something similar to what we're talking about with the goblin. It's interesting stuff. One of the things that makes you take this seriously is that the goblin was discovered by one of the biggest telescopes in the world, the Japanese Subaru telescope, which is on Mauna Kea, the best northern hemisphere site in the world for putting optical telescopes. It's an eight meter mirror, and that means it can see very faint objects. But Subaru is interesting because it's got quite a wide field of view. So it can produce images of relatively large areas of sky. Most big telescopes, you, you only see a very narrow field of 
view, and the Hubble is the extreme example of that. It looks at tiny bits of sky in great detail, whereas what you want to do is look in detail, but also see a big area of sky, and the Subaru telescope lets you do that. Mm. So clearly the um, time allocation committees that look at dishing out telescope time take this proposal for Planet Nine very seriously indeed, and are giving big telescope time to the project to try and find it. Yes. So it's a question of watch this space. When the dust settles a bit, I'm sure the goblin will get a much more elegant name. These trans-Neptunian objects typically are named after figures in the creation legends of the indigenous people in the territory in which the object was discovered. So no doubt the goblin will wind up with a very elegant Hawaiian name because that's that's where it was discovered. Fantastic. And while we're still out there, I've heard uh, whispers that there's another campaign going on to have uh, Pluto reclassified as a planet. If there's another... Uh, object in that area that's bigger than Pluto, then you'd have to make it a planet too, and then you start to get into real messy stuff. I think most astronomers in the world share the same view that I have. (laughs) Pluto is not a planet, and it never was. End of story. We just misclassified it. Well, it's Um, the only one we found in 1930, so... That's right. Now that we've found it, you know, a whole bunch, it starts. Yeah, to well, make there's more than sense. a thousand, more mm. than a thousand of these objects known already, and there are probably millions out there. So, yeah, yeah it's not a planet. Okay. Um, but that, you know, it's still one of the most interesting objects in the solar system, and as we know from the uh, flyby of New Horizons back in 2015. That's Dr. Fred Watson, an astronomer with the Department of Science, speaking with Andrew Dunkley on our sister program, Space Nuts. And this is Space Time. I'm Stuart Gary. New data suggests NASA's Voyager 2 spacecraft might be about to leave the solar system, becoming only the second man-made object after its sister ship Voyager 1 to reach interstellar space. Mission managers have detected an increase in cosmic rays that originate from outside our solar system. Since late August, the Cosmic Ray subsystem instrument aboard the Voyager 2 spacecraft has measured a 5% increase in the rate of cosmic rays hitting the spacecraft compared to early August. And the probe's low-energy charged particle instrument has detected a similar increase in higher-energy cosmic rays. Cosmic rays are fast-moving particles, and while some of them do originate from the Sun, other, more high-energy cosmic rays originate from beyond the solar system. Now, some of these cosmic rays are blocked by the heliosphere, so mission managers expect the Voyager 2 spacecraft will measure an increase in the rate of cosmic rays as it approaches and then crosses the boundary of the heliosphere. Since 2007, the Voyager 2 probe has been travelling through the outermost layer of the heliosphere, a vast bubble surrounding the Sun and planets dominated by the solar wind and the Sun's magnetic field. And Voyager scientists have been watching for the spacecraft to reach the outer boundary of the heliosphere known as the heliopause. Once Voyager 2 exits the heliopause, it's in interstellar space. Launched back in 1977, Voyager 2 is now some 17.7 billion kilometres from Earth, That's just over 118 times the distance between the Earth and the Sun. It was back in May 2012 when Voyager 2's sister ship Voyager 1 also experienced an increase in the rate of cosmic rays similar to what Voyager 2 is now detecting. And that was about three months before Voyager 1 crossed the heliopause at 121 astronomical units and moving into interstellar space. However, NASA scientists warned that the increase in cosmic rays itself isn't a definitive sign that the probe's about to cross the heliopause. 
You see, Voyager 2 is in a very different location in the helios sheath, that's the outer region of the heliosphere, compared to where Voyager 1 was, and it's also travelling in a different direction. And so it's possible that these differences mean Voyager 2 may well experience a different exit timeline compared to Voyager 1. The fact that Voyager 2 may be approaching the heliopause six years after Voyager 1 is also relevant, because the heliopause moves in and outwards depending on the Sun's 11-year solar cycle. The Sun's solar cycle refers to increases in activity from the Sun, increases in emissions such as solar flares and eruptions of material called coronal mass ejections. It's the same process which causes geomagnetic storms around the Earth. During the 11-year solar cycle, the Sun reaches both solar minimum and solar maximum levels of activity. Voyager project scientist Ed Stern from Caltech in Pasadena, California, says there is no doubt that instruments are detecting a change in the environment around Voyager 2, and scientists will learn more in coming months. But Stern says scientists still don't know when the probe will reach the heliopause. All they're sure of now is that it's not there yet. I'm Stuart Gary. This is Space Time. Recent observations have been creating a puzzle for astrophysicists trying to understand the evolution of the universe. The findings, reported in the Journal of Astronomy and Astrophysics, suggest fewer galaxy clusters have been formed since the Big Bang than expected according to cosmological models. The universe is thought to have formed 13.8 billion years ago in a Big Bang, creating space-time and everything in it, including all the energy and matter the cosmos consists of. From then on, space-time rapidly expanded, with everything being distributed almost evenly, but not exactly evenly. In some places, matter was a little bit denser than in others. And as a result, these denser regions exerted slightly stronger gravitational pull and slowly attracted more and more matter from their surroundings. Over time, matter concentrated more and more within these condensation points. At the same time, the space between these condensation points gradually became emptier. And over 13.8 billion years, this created the large-scale cosmic web-like structure of the universe today. That web-like structure comprises the filaments connecting nodes full of stars, galaxies, galaxy clusters and superclusters. These filaments are surrounded by vast near-empty voids, gigantic holes almost completely devoid of matter. The standard model of cosmology describes this history of the universe from the first seconds after the Big Bang through to the present day. The beauty of the standard model is that it manages to explain with only six parameters everything science knows about the birth and evolution of the cosmos. However, Dr. Florian Picard from the University of Bonn suggests the model may now have reached its limits. Picard bases his concerns on new observations pointing to the fact that matter is distributed differently in the universe today compared to what's predicted in the standard model. His concerns began when he looked at measurements by the European Space Agency's Planck satellite, which measured the cosmic microwave background radiation. This is the afterglow of the Big Bang, when the first atoms formed and photons were able to escape, and it conveys crucial information on the matter distribution in the early universe, showing where the densities were just 380,000 years after the Big Bang. Now, according to the Planck measurements, this initial distribution is such that over cosmic time, more galaxy clusters should have formed than what we can actually observe today. Picard points to X-ray satellite measurements of the number of galaxy clusters at different distances. The idea behind this is that light from remote galaxy clusters have travelled further billions of years, in fact, before reaching us. And so we observe them today as what they were when the universe was still young. On the other hand, light from nearby clusters hasn't travelled as far. 
and so they're observed as they appeared much more recently. The measurements suggest the clusters have formed far too slowly. Picard and colleagues have estimated how far these results conflict with the basic predictions of the standard model. They've found that while there is a large discrepancy between the measurements and predictions, there's a level of statistical uncertainty which is still far too great to safely put the standard model in question. However, the authors expect to obtain substantially more constraining results over the next three years, finally, hopefully, revealing whether or not the standard model does need to be revised. And the study will also supply a glimpse into the nature of that mysterious force called dark energy, the force often described as the opposite of gravity, negative energy, vacuum energy. Whatever it is, it's causing the expansion of the universe out from the Big Bang to accelerate. The strength of dark energy, a figure known as the cosmological constant, should have stayed the same since the Big Bang, or so assumes the standard model of cosmology. Now, Picard says many observations, including his own, do support this thesis. But future observations by his team will obtain more precise results. And knowing that will tell us not just how the universe began and evolved, but how it's going to end. You're listening to Space Time. I'm Stuart Gary. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. The 2018 Nobel Prizes have been handed out in Sweden. The Nobel Prize in Physics has been jointly awarded to Arthur Ashkin, Gerard Maru and Donna Strickland for their research into laser physics. Ashkin invented optical tweezers that grab and move atoms, viruses, bacteria, living cells and other particles using nothing more than the radiation pressure of light. Maru and Strickland invented chirp pulse amplification, which produced the shortest and most intense laser pulses ever created by humans. They first stretched the laser pulses in time to reduce their peak power, then amplified them, and finally compressed them to pack more light into the same tiny space, resulting in high-intensity lasers used for things like corrective eye surgery. Meanwhile, the Nobel Prize in Chemistry has gone to Francis Arnold, George Smith and Sir Gregory Winter. Arnold for her work in the evolution of enzymes and the refinement of new environmentally friendly methods to develop new catalysts. Smith developed a new method known as phage display, in which the virus that infects a bacteria, known as bacteriophage, is used to develop new proteins. And Winter for using phage display to develop antibodies for new pharmaceuticals. And there's the Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine, which this year was awarded to James Allison and Toshuka Honjo, who separately studied proteins that act as breaks on the immune system. They both realised that by releasing these breaks, they could unleash immune cells to attack cancer tumours. The United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has issued a dire warning on the worsening problems of global warming. The panel says the world needs to virtually eliminate the use of coal for electricity within the next 22 years if there's to be any chance of saving the Great Barrier Reef. The panel, which is composed of some of the world's most respected scientists, found that global greenhouse gas emissions must reach zero by around 2050 if global warming is to be kept at 1.5 degrees Celsius. The call's expected to trigger a significant switch worldwide from fossil fuels to baseload nuclear power and renewable energy. Planet Earth is already now over a degree warmer compared to pre-industrial levels because of increased atmospheric carbon dioxide levels due to fossil fuels. The report warns that at the current rate, that 1.5 degrees Celsius increase could be reached by 2040, with 2 degrees being passed in the 2060s. A 1.5 degree increase in global temperatures will see a decline of up to 90% in coral reefs. 
and a 2 degree rise would see a global increase in sea levels by 10 centimetres. A new study has found that adolescents who use vaping products are both more likely to smoke cigarettes and more likely to increase the use of both products over time. The findings by the RAND Corporation provides insights into patterns of both vaping and cigarette smoking as youth transition into young adults. The study examined over 2,000 teenagers in California over three years, allowing researchers to model both e-cigarette and cigarette use from ages 16 to 20. Researchers also found that the increased use of both e-cigarettes and regular cigarettes over time couldn't be attributed to other risk factors, such as alcohol or marijuana. Last month, the US Food and Drug Administration declared that vaping had now reached epidemic levels, and it called for manufacturers of the most popular e-cigarettes to keep their products away from kids. In what's being described as one of the largest corporate espionage programs ever implemented by a nation-state, Bloomberg Businessweek are reporting that malicious computer chips developed by Chinese People's Liberation Army hackers have been installed in server motherboards used by dozens of global companies and organisations. Bloomberg is reporting that these infected Chinese manufactured chips are acting as microservers, providing a stealth doorway, allowing Chinese government hackers to remotely access information and rewrite server code, altering how a device functions. Shares in numerous Chinese computer component manufacturers have plummeted in the wake of the news. You're listening to Space Time. I'm Stuart Gary, and that's the show for now. You can subscribe and download Space Time as a free twice-weekly podcast through Apple Podcast iTunes, Stitcher, Bytes.com, Pocket Casts, SoundCloud, YouTube, Audioboom, from SpaceTimeWithStuartGary.com, or from your favorite podcast download provider. Space Times also broadcast coast-to-coast across the United States on Science360 Radio by the National Science Foundation in Washington, D.C., and available around the world on TuneIn Radio. If you want more Space Time, check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as loads of images, news stories, videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word and in lowercase, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us on Twitter through at Stuart Gary, at Spacetime with Stuart Gary on Instagram, and on Facebook, just go to www.facebook.com slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.